Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 206. This is not my frackin' life. This week we're discussing season 4, episode 6 of Battlestar Galactica, Escape Velocity, and season 4, episode 5 of Angel, Super Symmetry. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right. Um, So, uh, Jane Espenson episode. Hooray! Um, Yay! Not as... Yeah, I don't don't know if you know this, uh, Curtis, but she's a good writer. You know... There's a couple episodes, maybe one or two, that have been okay, but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, I was about to say, like, not not a funny episode. Sure. Um, although maybe one or two, like, humorous moments in it. Um, sure, sure. Like, I bet she got a kick out of writing the hair-pulling scene hair-pulling scene, which sounds like it's one thing and is something totally sure. different. Sure, but... Um, I get I get a kick out of um, uh, the... No, we're not going to talk about the fragile body of Gaius Brackenfalls. Yes. Like, Ty's, yes. Ty's disgust right. with, with so, where this conversation is headed. So there are, like... There are those Espenson moments in there yeah. of like nobody else would write a line like that, but like I agree in general, this isn't. But like even this isn't that, the kind of like it's not the kind of humorous farce that she generally is known it's, for. It's like that's only funny because we're like laughing at Ty, right? Like this is like yeah, yeah. like that's funny as like a joke between like the writer and the audience, not not sure. as like right. right something funny right. that like someone is saying and not that like i mean not that she i i feel like in buffy though and like elsewhere um so like i mean one of my favorite episodes of hers of anything is uh shindig from firefly mm. so like yeah. where mal keeps stabbing him at the end and is like i'm i'm a good man <laughs> eh, i'm okay right. <laughs> like like those right. are like right. like let, that's mal like being funny you know what i mean like right. as a character right right and like right obviously with her writing and words or whatever as you know but like like this is like yeah ty is in a like actual anger <laughs> and anguish like while he's saying that line so like it's funny only because like it's just a hilarious lot like we're laughing at ty's pain in that moment it's right. not like right ty himself is like saying something funny or, or you know doing something mm-hmm. funny um and not and that's not to say that like that's good or bad it's still funny mm-hmm. <laughs> but like um not right. not a no, funny it's like, like there it's not it's certainly i mean it's actually an episode of a lot of that sort of internal turmoil and anguish i feel like um in all yeah. of it's all kind of, of the characters i i i kind of realized like how thematically unified this episode is that really like every single like the way we have it broken out here of like Ty, Rosalind and Tyrrell is like the main and Baltar Baltar, is like the main plot points every single one of them is about pain literally like that's what the conversation 
centers and, around is like and and the the value of it or the the struggle of it yeah. or the wisdom of it well, the, or the whatever clarity it is. right that's what caprica six right. is giving to ty but even like like you have that and then like you have like baltar standing with his like bashed in face like having his like yeah clarifying moment about you know i am god and we are all god and sort of the stranger in a strange land you know mm. you know uh martian mike sitting up there you know telling everyone that they are god kind of thing so mm. um yeah very very much so I, I agree like it's all about their sort of different types of pain and turmoil um so not funny no, the subject matter is not except funny. in but one she or finds two some moments. some yeah. dark some dark humor within all of the um, the pain and the suffering. Yeah, yeah. So well done, because um, she's totally going to hear that compliment. Yes, um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, so one so like you said, we sort of broke it out into into the four characters that are kind of the main ones. This go around, um, and I think. The mainest of them um, seems to be Tyrrell, to my mind. Um, mm -hmm. Although maybe that's just because we kind of like start with him. So I I don't know that he necessarily gets more screen time than anyone else. But uh, mm -hmm. anyway, just seems like a good place to start. Um, always right, and following on on Callie's death in yeah. the previous so it feels like that's the continuing storyline sure. that we're sort of following sure so. um although right so we talked about like last episode was really her perspective and now it's his right like um like you said sort of following on that um so there's also a, a very distinct path that he travels from beginning to end like i wasn't even really mm -hmm. thinking about this until like um kind of right before when we were when we were talking about what we wanted to do with the episodes looking at kind of his speech that he gives mm -hmm. at the funeral and then mm -hmm. his diatribe at adama at the end mm -hmm. and the different depictions of Callie that he gives mm -hmm. in each of those um and it's hard it's hard to know if either of these are accurate or, or mm -hmm. if like so many things, it's like really kind of somewhere in the middle, I guess that would be where, mm -hmm. because there's the tendency, I think, right. In funerals to like, uh, sanitize or, or saint mm -hmm. sanctitize, uh, you know, the, the person, right. To like maybe imply that they were a better person than they were. And, and, you know, really focus on all of the good aspects of their character and um, sometimes even outright lie. Like, you know, so-and-so is a loving parent and, you know, there's mm. their children who yeah. are all like, oh yeah, they were real loving when they were, you know, whipping me with a belt or something like that, right? Like, right, um, right. you know, and, and I think there's, I mean, I, I like Callie. I'm not trying to like besmirch her character in any way, but, you know, mm -hmm. Tyrrell at the beginning, he's saying like, you know, I couldn't keep you safe from harm, my love, but I kept you in my heart. And it's like, oh yeah, all those times when you were like running away to like 
go to Joe's bar and like meet with Tori and whatever. Um, even mm-hmm. though it wasn't like an affair, like I don't know how much you were keeping Callie in your heart, right? You know, sure, you, yeah. and, and all of the sort of like uh uh stock descriptions, right? Yeah. You're the breath in my lungs, the blood in my veins, the light in my eye, and now that breath mm. is gone, the blood and the light are gone. Um I'm left the voice, Lords of Cobal, as many as and as varied as mortal men must bow down and lean low to hear that voice and hear my lament. Like he's tormented for sure. But like as mm. we see like sort of in the episode, like I don't know that the torment is really like Callie's death per se. About Callie. Right? Yeah. It's more like <laughs> right. So this is what so hopefully I'm not mansplaining, but like when you hear like women talking about like man pain and and like tortured, mm. you know, uh stories like this like this is the, like tear, this is like the Tyrrell you know perfect example of that sort of man pain uh mm. thing I think right like it's he's not he, he's pained for himself not really mm. for Callie it's like I mm-hmm. think I think that's I don't necessarily know that we see that right up front but like through the episode that yeah. seems to me to be sort of the message because by the time and I'm skipping ahead I know but I want to, I really, I like, um, not that I like it, but I, I want to contrast that to what he right. says later because. Uh, right, right. The ugliness you know, of the things he says. He, he literally yeah. says the opposite. I will not make an angel out of someone who wasn't an angel. Well, that's literally what you did. Like at the beginning of this episode is you were right. making an angel out of someone who, who wasn't and not like she claimed to be one right like she didn't ask him to like say all those things (laughs) right Right, right. um but i can see you have saying that to adama who you know not necessarily sure that adama has like done that it's like he's kind of responding the way you would expect someone to respond to a person who just lost a spouse right like Mm. she was a good woman like that's like all he says and it's like, oh, you're turning her into this angel. Ah, ah, ah. And it's like, whoa, wait a minute. All, she's, all he said was she was a good woman. Like, right, he didn't right. say she was perfect or that she didn't have her flaws or that, like, you know, whatever. And, you know, Tyrrell flips out. But again, like, it's not, like, this also isn't really about Callie. It's about him, mm. himself, and mm. the fear, pain, confusion whatever that he's going through um right 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 and of course it, she's somewhere yeah. in the middle like you know he right. he uh calls adama out i maybe rightly for you know at one time putting callie up against the bulkhead and getting ready to shoot her and yeah like that happened like you can't deny that but like that doesn't also mean she was like a demon either right like there's there's a there's a middle ground here because she's human just like everyone else is human mm-hmm. and that seems to be you know where sort of like Tyrrell is getting it wrong in both instances like he's swinging mm-hmm. the pendulum from one extreme to the other and not sort of settling in the middle um 
Right, right. And the and the contrast there also to skip to a different um, plot point is with Baltar's like everybody is perfect speech, you know. Sure. Um which we can get to later because I'm not sure that what he means by that is that people I, I don't I, I think there's some unpacking there because on the one hand he's kind of not denying that people are that people have flaws and selfishness but also he's saying that they're not really anything other than us being our perfect selves because if god loves us then that's who we are is what we are and we could never be anything else so it's a bit confusing we can get back to that but like yeah this kind of contrast of Tyrrell swinging between the the making her into a martyr or a demon um and kind of most of us realizing, well, human beings are somewhere in between. Um, right. They're not demonic, but neither are they perfect. And then you have that kind of juxtaposed with Baltar's saying the exact opposite of all your your angel side and your demon side. Really, there is no difference. And, and your perfection is the totality of all of sure. that. Um, well, and that's what even, so, even in... so. As um as they're sort of leaving the funeral, uh, uh, Tyrrell grabs Ty and Tori. So many T's. Uh, yeah. You know he he kind of grabs yeah, them and they're like, "What are you doing? Like, final five. you're gonna give us away here?" And and sort of play it off like, you know, sorry for your loss and blah blah blah. Um, but right. then like back in his quarters, um. Tori brings that up, right? She says, Galen, you're perfect. You don't need guilt. We were made to be perfect. And then Ty, you know, dismisses that. You know, what is that? More Baltar's crap? Like, mm -hmm. um, so I, I think, I mean, I just, I mean, it's not as mm -hmm. whatever, eloquent or sustained mm -hmm. as Baltar's later speech, but I think you're right. Like, they definitely contrast those two ideas. Right, well, and, and it's Tori that gives him that notion. It's it's her, she's kind of, she says it first to Tyrrell and then to Baltar, she kind of continues on this little philosophical riff that she's going on about sure. the sanctification of sin and, and the perfection Although, that lies. And it's really that that he's kind of riffing on yeah. later no, on. No, I agree. And like they're, you know, and Baltar and uh, Tori are looking at each other. And so you're getting that connection. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's interesting that that Ty says there, you know, what is that more Baltar's crap? Like he almost puts it right. into her head Assumes that to to, to sure. you know give it to Baltar in a way. Um, right. But it's right. close enough, right? To and the it's all in of... in response to Tyrrell. So they're right. like all sort of right. they all have a hand in this new philosophy it's that's being sure. sort of born. Um, yeah. Um, and actually, just to finish up too about like his um, his man pain, um, like it, I don't know. Maybe this is a conversation that can continue. I'm not sure if this is a if this works as an example of it. But that's kind of um, my understanding of the problem with um, in quotes fridging female characters is that um, it's not so much that female characters are bulletproof and can't ever be killed in a story and that, or that that's inherently 
sexist. Sure. Um, it's, it's that idea of um, that they, when they're, you know, it's not real life. It's a story. It's being crafted by people. So somebody, a writer is deciding that it's time to kill a character off. But so I think the, the problem as people kind of articulate it is when that's done, not as some sort of logical end point or conclusion or fulfillment of some narrative for that female character, but for when it becomes fuel to feel like to feed the man pain of the male characters around her. And I mean, maybe you could make an argument that like Callie's death is only a, is only done to give Tyrrell some angst. Um, but also, I think kind of what you're saying too is that that's that's mitigated a bit because it's kind of overtly acknowledged. Like I can feel that there being sure. kind of a meta commentary here on how yeah Tyrrell's reaction in both its angelic and demonic swings isn't really about Callie at all. It's about him wrestling with his own nature mm -hmm. and the fears of, of not sadness over what happened to her or what she did, but his reassessing himself. Yeah. What did he do now or in the past to cause this? How does this push him into the, the brink of some sort of, emotional breakdown that he's kind of on the precipice of and everything. Um, so I think the fact that they're kind of almost like all but saying that in the story kind of makes me feel like at least Jane Espenson is aware of that. Sure. Um, if not the whole writers and are kind of working with it, making a comment on it, working that into the story a bit. Um, well, and I think it's interesting because while while this episode is you know a lot about Tyrrell and Ty and you know well Roslyn but Baltar right so like three quarters men right <laughs> um, it's Tori who kills mm -hmm. Callie and there's mm -hmm. a sense like we just said that like she's the one feeding Baltar this idea about perfection so it's not e like you can take that even a step further of like <clears throat> i totally agree with you like it wouldn't surprise me at all that jane espenson is writing this in a way that like yes tyrrell is experiencing his man pain but like it's so obvious that like the two extremes are not accurate and so like that's right it's so obvious how full of crap yeah. he is you know so that's <laughs> that's drawing attention to that and saying like whoa what right. are you doing but, like, also, like, yes, it's fridging a female character, but it's also, like, at the hands of another female character who's, like, mm -hmm. you know, discovering her own sort of power in, I mean, not that we like the power that she's necessarily discovering, but, like, there is a sense right. where it's, like, not just about right. Tyrrell either. Like, there's also the Tory line right. of her being the one to have killed Callie and then right. you know is sort of discovering her own capabilities right. and ideas in the process who you know well, and it's like sorry I, I was just gonna say of, yeah, you yeah. know Tori also having sort of always been on the sidelines before so now she's sort of finding that you know step forward in that way mm -hmm. Mm 
Right. I was like, there's no explicit connection to Rosalind in this episode with Tori, but that's clearly the character she's been connected with ever since she's been well, around. Well, there is in the so Quora it's almost, meeting. In, that's true. That's true. I forgot that. You're right. So Tori's kind of the secret mover behind this whole episode, and none of them are really about her, but and none of none of the characters realize the extent to which she is quietly you know shaking sure. things up behind the scenes but she is think... influencing Tyrrell she's mm -hmm. influencing Ty she's majorly influencing Baltar she has Rosalind's ear and now she's killed somebody too mm -hmm. um so she has all of this kind of secret uh power that nobody realizes yeah. and, um, and it's kind of nice how like I never thought of that before until we just kind of Laid it out like that. I don't even know. But she, I mean, she shoots some daggers at Rosalind, like, during that meeting when she's talking about Baltar's cult. And, you know, hard to say how much influence she has there, like, mm. directly over what Rosalind's saying or doing or whatever. But um, definitely seems like, like that's like, like, there's that connection and you get that. Um, and I guess the only thing I would say is that um, there is sort like Lee, I think, sort of notices her at the end, right? Like in Baltar's group. Right. Sure. So, yeah. Like, I mean, that's right at the end. So, like, I don't think I'm not saying that to like um, disavow or not disavow, but like uh, go against anything you just said, because I think you're right. It's just like, I think that sort of right at the end there you get like mm -hmm. the first hint that like maybe someone's noticing, Oh, mm -hmm. Tori's here. What's she doing here? Mm -hmm. Like kind of thing. Right. Right. So the Rosalind connections are more obvious than I kind of was making it sound like, but you're right. Like there's two very clear scenes where her status as, as Rosalind's assistant and this newfound connection with Baltar are being, brought to the forefront mm. um yeah so it's kind of cool how she is kind of quietly connected with all of the different storylines in this episode yeah um all right so maybe to walk through a little of Terrell's man pain we don't have to spend a ton of time um, apparently mangst is another word that's used for that i looked it up real quick um <laughs> Uh, that's good yeah that's a good portmanteau <laughs> yeah uh, you know so he gets you know you get the you know him and so you get Tyrell and Ty and Tori in Tyrell's quarters um, clearly like he's being neglectful of Nikki and he's saying mm -hmm. like I don't even know who I am anymore I don't know which of my memories are real I don't know that I've had one action in my life that isn't programmed. And that's when Tori is like, you're perfect. You don't need guilt. We were made to be perfect, which doesn't answer any of his questions. Like, but like, it's more like, even if they were programmed, you know, actions or memories or whatever. So what? Like, that's, that's how, that's who you are. Right. That's kind of what Tori is saying. Like, who you are is perfect because that's who you are. You know, it's sort of tautological, mm -hmm. I guess. Um, mm -hmm. And then 
But then you get like Tyrrell sort of appealing to Ty about still being the same person. And, you know, that's where Ty says, you know, what you're feeling is what a man feels when this happens. It's normal and it's human and it's not going to end anytime soon. It'll be there every day. You'll see her every day. You'll see her. And of course, like, we know what happens later with Ty, but, <laughs> right, um, right. you know, just that idea of like, it's normal to go through this sort of pain and agony when someone you love dies. So do they know that Tori killed Callie? I don't no. think they do, right? Like, no, I don't think like so. nobody knows except for her. I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she's uh, she's not sharing. And that's what, too, part of it is I wonder if, I think she does believe what she's saying about, like, she's not being totally um, manipulative. Um, like, there's some sincerity to her philosophy, sure. but also how much of her telling Tyrrell, you're perfect, you don't need guilt, is about saying, I know what happened and you're not responsible for it. Like, kind of letting him off the, in a way that doesn't draw attention to herself, letting him off the hook of you don't need to feel this pain. You didn't do anything. You didn't kill her, all these things like kind of in a way, subtly sort of comforting him. Um, not that it registers because unless she were to confess, he wouldn't have any idea what she's talking about. Mm. But um, I think there is a part of her that is trying to uh, convince him not to put the blame on himself. Sure. And that's not to right. say so, that she necessarily feels bad or regrets what she did, but just in a kind of um, something in her is trying to communicate to him, don't do this to yourself. Right. It's not, it wasn't about you or it wasn't your fault. Right. Um, all right. So kind of skipping ahead then, you get Tyrrell working. So he, he does, right? So Ty is right. Like he starts thinking about Callie and sort of having visions. Um, and not just of like the good times, right? He has like visions of himself when he's beating on Callie and stuff. And mm -hmm. um, while he's like trying to fix the raptor, ends up missing uh, a part that he's supposed to replace. And it turns out very badly for a racetrack and skull skulls. What's what's the skulls? Yeah. I think skulls. Um, yeah, racetrack yet again crash. Yeah, not good. Right. right. Um. So. Yeah, I mean, and then you know, and then him sort of discovering his own mistake and looking for. So this is right. This is the thing of like. All right, no one's going to blame him for Callie's death, but like right. someone should blame him for this, right? But they give him give him a pass. They you know, right. racetrack is like nobody got hurt, forget it, you're only human. And he starts like yelling at him like, you know, tell me I fracked up, cowards, you know, blah blah blah. And right. looking for someone to shame him and blame him and you know, put the fault on his shoulders 
Um, if they're not going to do it for Cali, then like this seems like a clear cut case of like when it should be done, and no one does, right? So mm-hmm. that I mean, I don't know that I have a lot to say about the psychology of that. Like, I guess I can sort of understand that, like you know, he wants to be treated like a normal human being and they're not treating him like mm-hmm. that. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I... No, go ahead, finish. No, I was just going to say, and, like, you can understand why they're not, like, from the other side of things. Like, you totally understand, like... Right. They, you know, are treating him maybe fragile, like he's fragile a bit, and, you know... Well, I mean, he is, but, like... <laughs> Not like it. It seems to have the opposite effect from what they want, right? Like he wants to be right. blamed for something, mm-hmm. it, you know, anything mm-hmm. at this point. Um, and he sort of repeats that refrain later in Joe's bar with Adama, where you know Adama's like, you know, I'll give you time off, or even if you need extra work to stay busy, mm-hmm. like whatever you need. And Tyrell's like, I don't need special treatment, and so that's. You know, again, like, it's that thing of, like, there's all of these, you know, sort of pieces that, um, you know, people are, are sort of giving him passes or or special input. And, and, like, the main thing is that he's looking for his own humanity. And in order to do that, he wants to be treated like anyone else would be treated. But of course, these are extraordinary. So even like I think the thing that I would like the major mistake that Tyrell makes in this episode, I would say, is this is humanity. Like this is how humans treat other humans when they go through a mm-hmm. devastating loss. Is they do mm-hmm. give them special treatment. You you know, workplaces do let you take time off to go be with your family and you know, whatever. And it's, you know, uh, mm-hmm. not unusual to have that happen. And like his sort of like the, I guess the irony of it is that like, he wants to be treated like a normal human and he is being treated like a normal human because mm-hmm. a normal human would understand that this is like a devastating loss. And he's so mm-hmm. focused on not being treated differently that he's sort of, missing that point right right yeah um and i think so there's a nice like double entendre to all of that that i don't think it all contradicts what you're saying but on the other hand i do think there's also this so he simultaneously wants to be treated as if he's human and normal but then on the other hand there's this kind of flirtation with almost wanting to be found out, um, you know, the burden of the secret, you know, even just the fact that he kind of almost makes a scene with Tori and, and Ty and kind of freaks them out a little bit. And, you know, they have to kind of tell him not to do that again. Um, you know, so when he says, so when he like makes the mistake with the, with the Raptor and wants them to give him a hard time or punish him or do whatever, I mean, part of it, like you said, is what happens when a human makes a mistake is you, is you punish them for it or you, you, you know, do whatever kind of whatever their 
protocol is. Um, and so treat me like that. The other part of it, I wonder, is he's worried so much about his actions and his life being programmed and not under his control. And I think there's a there's a suggestion here that, or at least he's worried, am I sabotaging raptors because I might be a Cylon? Like, is it is it a human mistake sure. of, I forgot to, like, tighten this, you know, wing nut or whatever? Or is this my programming? And so, you know, when she says, you know, oh, it's a mistake, you're only human, he responds with this visceral, you know, no, don't say that. Like, if it's a human, you give someone, you know, their, their just desserts. If, you know, and, and part of it of, you know, tell me I fracked up, demote me, kick me off the ship is like, I think he's worried about what, in that boomer way, worried about what he might do. And is kind of provoking people into dressing him down, firing him, demoting him, doing whatever. Um, I mean, at the end, he's all but, he's literally begging Adama to do that. Um, sure. It kind of, it escalates over the course of the episode. But that's kind of where it starts is, you know, is that first reaction of, um, tell me I fracked up because otherwise I might've done it on purpose, <laughs> you know, like whether intentionally or not, it could have been not an accident. Um, you know, so I think it's kind of both at the same time. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't disagree with that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the upshot is that he does get his wish. <laughs> he gets demoted and, you know, has to report to uh, Petty Officer Bassum or Bassum or whatever it is uh, for reassignment. And, uh, yeah. Um, all right. So... We have three more people to talk to. <laughs> um, Roslyn. Um, so for kind of the first half anyway uh, of, of her part of the episode, it's all about her and death, right? Like there's mm. sort of like yeah. this, her coming to terms with death and um you know like in the during the funeral like saying you know i like that service and Rama's kind of like yeah you know whatever and she's like yeah well i i want you to know what i like like making a point of like this is the service yeah. that i want right like when i die basically right. if, I, if i tell you my wishes write this down yeah um But then also, like, um, I mean, there's sort of, like, discussion about Baltar and, and him being arrested or whatever. Um, and she decides to go see him because I want him to see me. And so, I mean, on the one sense, it's, like, to let him know that I'm not dead yet. But on the other hand, like, when she gets there, it's, like, you know, there's, like, these vague threats of like, 
I'm getting mm-hmm. old and or not old, but like more sickly anyway, like and I don't have long to live and might stop caring about what people think of me yeah. or what yeah. the law is. <laughs> and right. you know, um I like how she puts right. it in like sort of so let you know. theoretical terms. Like right, like he's he's a theoretical scientist, right? Like so it's sure. like sort of terms that he can understand. Like, you know, I'm getting curious about what this whole death thing's about. And I, I hear that there's, you know, that some people tend to get, you know, less interested in the things like the law and conventional morality, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, when when they get closer to death. So I'm, I'm just curious right, if right. I'll be one of those people, like, yeah, when that yeah. comes. I did, I did my research, and this is what the research suggests happens right. in some cases. Yeah. Right, presenting it very scientifically to him, um, as though right. this were, like, an experiment. Um, right, right, right. And it throws an interesting light on all of this stuff going on with, like, Lee checking all of her moves in the quorum. Like, you know, like, to what extent do we reinterpret sure. that stuff in the light of, like, yeah, yes, she is kind of getting to the end, and she's getting pretty desperate, and they are looking for Earth and still haven't found it yet. And here she is saying to Baltar, like, some of it is a threat, but also there might be some truth here of I'm losing my patience for the rules, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm running out of time. And so in order to do what I need to do, yeah, uh, maybe she will uh, throw the, the the rule book out the window a little bit. Yeah. I'll, um, I'll be honest. I didn't even really put it that directly together, but I mean, it's kind of obvious when you point it out, like, yeah, there's, there is a sense of like, she just ramming stuff through and not even just this week, but like that was the whole discussion the week before. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Of, of just ramming stuff through on like executive order or whatever their version of that mm-hmm. is. And yeah, like Lee is the one calling her out and interesting that like, he's the one doing it as like sort of the naive young clueless one of the group, right? Like the others aren't sort of making those stands They're Like mm-hmm. you get like a sense that there's some complaining, but he's the one like calling for a vote and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, I don't know what that necessarily says, but just kind of interesting when you put it that way of like, yeah, like she admits to Baltar, she's caring less and less about rules and morality. And so it seems to be okay with like, just creating like these, you know, emergency, whatever, you know, uh, like rules around like congregation and, and assembly and mm-hmm. stuff, um, which she promises like only applies to Baltar's group, but that's like clear religious prosecution. And I, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. again, another situation of, we don't quite know what their laws are. They seem to be similar but they don't necessarily have like a first amendment. So like, do they have something similar or is it like maybe a little different or whatever? Um, right. But that seems to be like the sort of, of thing that she's violating, like whatever their version, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the colonial version of the first amendment is, that's mm-hmm. what she's, you know, sort of violating. Um, mm-hmm. And then like complaining, not just complaining, but like, when Adam is like reading her the story, like she's not even paying attention anymore, right? To like 
what I guess is supposed to be one of her favorite books, right? Um, yeah. Or at least one that she enjoyed. I guess Adama said it was his favorite or whatever. But um, so right, she's kind of like winching about Lee and right. his what an annoying little and like snot he is you know, and everything. You know yeah. the pragmatic realities, and even acknowledging that like it might actually be the right thing. It's just not like it's not the pragmatic thing. But like pragmatic for right. whom? Like for her, of course, right? Like I mean. Mm -hmm. That's what it boils down to, but that's like, just, that's just dictator speak. Like, you know, mm -hmm. that's not, uh, you know, that doesn't mean it's good, <laughs> just because it's pragmatic. Um, yeah. No, she's um in a very um, ends justify the means kind of headspace. Um, you know, and like Zarek said, it doesn't mean that her ends aren't good. She wants to save everybody. That's, you know, noble ends and everything. But, um, but she's, she is kind of, uh, not in the place to, like she says, indulge anybody that gets in the way of her achieving her, her ends. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, so, all right, we got to talk about Adama and the book and stuff for a moment here. Mm -hmm. Um, just, okay, so first of all, the book is terrible. Like, the story, like, just the, the actual word. Like, again, I could see, like, Jane Espenson having fun, like, writing, like, just such a, like, terribly cliche and like whatever story uh -huh. um not that we get a ton of it but like just kind of what we do get is kind of uh -huh. bad like i mean i would assume purposely bad right like this is like sure, the great sure. literature of caprica um or maybe it's not even maybe because like don't that she kind of like pulpy pulpy stuff right like wasn't it like murder that's the impression murder is that they, they have a shared like, pulp yeah. 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 Um, right. Like hard boiled like, detective kind of like Sea Rider genre stuff. Like Sea yeah. Rider Falcon. Like it just sounds pulpy and not yeah. the greatest. Um, so yeah. So like. Well, and 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 I, this just occurred to me now. Tyrrell makes the dig about Adama's love for his ship. Like, oh, go be with your precious ship. Like, like you care about more about your ship than you do about people, which is not the only time anybody's ever accused Adama of that. And like Sea Rider Falcon to me sounds like a ship. Like it has to be some sort sure. of sailing vessel or, or you know, like, you yeah. know, whether it's on water or in the air, like there's some sort of like um, nautical aspect to this yeah. that I feel like kind of goes with, with what Adama would appeal to him. Um, yeah, no, for sure. Um, and right so you get you get him re so this is presumably like one of his favorite books and so as a fairly avid reader i have to say like i do not understand his philosophy of not reading the ending of a book to quote prolong it somehow right right because if you're so afraid of like the book ending like 
ending it early doesn't stop it from ending. You just ended it sooner. Mm. Like, what is that? That makes no sense to me. Anyway, I don't know. Whatever. I, I, right, right. Um, it's funny. I, I feel like this is a trope because it, it reminds me of two things. The doctor who doesn't like endings, so he tears the last pages out of books. Sure. Um, and um, uh, Desmond in Lost, who carries around his like duct-taped preserved copy of our mutual friend of, you know, this is the last thing I'm going to read before I ever die kind of thing. Um, and yeah, the same with the doctor and his dislike of endings always struck me as silly in the same way of like, like it's one of those, like, this is a, a writerly trope that like nobody actually does this. Like, you know, like who loves a book and doesn't finish it? Like that just doesn't seem like a, a, there's a lack of truthiness to that or something. I don't know. But um, I don't know. The Desmond one I could swallow a little better, although there's the, the point that somebody makes of that only works if you know when you're going to die. So this isn't very helpful. Um, right. right. So, you're not going to like accidentally you know, like pull out a page and start reading it. Like, yeah, no, it's like, so, um, you know, this is, I kind of agree, a, a silly kind of, TV trope, I guess. Um, you know, yeah. um, it, it it makes a it makes a nice point about the sadness of endings. But like, does anybody actually read books in this way or consume narrative in this way? Like, yeah, I mean, I can I can understand better people who read the last page before you know they get to it. You know, like, First. like my, like sure. my mom will read like the ending, you know, before uh -huh. she's like halfway through the book just to make sure it uh -huh. comes out. Okay. And like, at least uh -huh. that, like I get like, there's like the C.S. Lewis surprise versus surprisingness that you can sort of fall back sure. on. Um, sure. But like, I don't get not reading the ending at all. That just makes no sense to me. And it, it, maybe this is intentional on, on the part of the writer, maybe not, but it, I think, misunderstands what endings are. That, like, yes, they're sad, but also the story isn't, it's not a story without an ending. The ending is, if not the point, at least, you know... The sadness, I think, is part of the point. Um, the part of a good story is is having the the completedness of it, um, and it's certainly inevitable. It, even if you don't like it, there you know everything ends, as they say in Doctor Who a lot. So, like, you may not like endings. You may wish to avoid them. You may find them unpleasant, but there is no avoiding them really, which I guess is kind of the writerly point that's being made here of like Adama can put off the ending as long as he wants, but there is no putting it off forever. Um, you know, things are going to end whether he approves of that or not. Sure. Um, you know, and again, back to the point of, the mixture of pain and pleasure that like a sad ending to a book can be pleasurable in its own sort of way. Mm 
Um, and is there any wisdom without going through the pain and the suffering of things coming to an end? So it's a silly trope that I think is making a nice point, but it's still a silly kind of trope. I guess. And I mean, I don't know how long the book is. Obviously, it's a fictional book. But he's only on chapter seven and saying, like, he's getting to the part he never read before. Like, how far before the ending did he stop? Like, I mean, is this... Right, he says this is his favorite book. So, right. how, like, how much of it has he actually yeah. read? I mean, I don't... Maybe, maybe there's only seven chapters. But, like, that's a pretty short book. Unless they're, like, really long chapters. Mm -hmm. um, and it mentions a raft. I just looked up the mm. thing. So... Mm. I, I think... Right. So, again, with the nautical... I think Sea Rider Falcon is, like, a name of, like, a person. So, mm -hmm. like, like Sea Rider is, like, the nickname, right? Like, he this is the name he gets because of what he does, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think I assumed it was the name of a boat. Sounds like a, a, a ship to me. Um, the, I can't prove that, but... These are plausible, but you know. Because why does a falcon um, need to ride anything? It can fly. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's a maybe it's a ship that flies in the air. Mmm, little fantasy. Yeah, right, like steampunky. Sure. Yeah. But I think it, it does feel like something Adama would really like. Um, even in the brief kind of snippets that we get. Um. Um, all right, moving on. Um, we got to talk about Ty and Caprica sits. Uh, mm -hmm. He makes a few visits to her cell. Um, and like she even mentions like this has become daily routine. Right. Like, mm -hmm. like this is, she's noticed a pattern, um, mm -hmm. which in all fairness, it's not like she has much else to do. Sure. Um, sure. But he's not even really interrogating her anymore. It's more like a visit and less like, oh, I have information that I have to come get from right. you. Um, and then like this particular day or so it's like yeah like it's escalating right like she mentions oh you didn't even wait a whole day <laughs> this time like mm -hmm. what do you want now um yeah i mean i don't i mean i don't know how much like he asked her questions about like can you turn it off is there a switch in your head to like turn off your you know thoughts and guilt and and whatnot um and she says no, that like she likes the pain because it gives her clarity, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then, like during their discussions, <laughs> Ty starts seeing Ellen instead of Caprica Six, and so this is mm -hmm. the question. So, like, I mean, it seems like it's a figment or a projection 
or whatever mm -hmm. it might, you know, something that he's causing to happen. Mm -hmm. But the words still seem to be Caprica sits. Like, it, mm -hmm. I don't think it's quite like the head six and Baltar and mm -hmm. others that we've sort of seen where they kind of are separate entities altogether. I mean, it's a separate entity, but it's still like Caprica Six's words and just sort of like right. Ellen's face and body over hers. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. So... I feel like we're getting some kind of inf crucial information of further data in the ongoing mystery of like, what are the head characters, you know? And I think there is like an important contrast here between let's call it a projection ties projection of Ellen, who is kind of one with Caprica six, who, mm -hmm. He looks at Caprica Six, but he sees Ellen. But she is saying and doing the things that Caprica is doing. So it's his right. his vision overlaid on top of which, Caprica. Which, when you get to the Gaius Frack and Baltar, like, <laughs> is why it's right. like that's why it it comes as such a like shock and like appalling right. to him that right. this is right. Ellen talking about, you know. Loving right. Baltar not with only her does, whole heart and, you know, having him right, forever. Right, right. Not only does he not want to think about Baltar in that way, but it's Ellen saying right. it. So this is yet another an yet another man that she's <laughs> sure. talking about in this way. Um, and, and one yeah. that he hates so passionately to begin with. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and, I mean, we can talk about it more when we get there, but I think, again, the contrast is with... Um, the very um, active and independent physical effect that the head six has with Baltar. That like, okay, at the same time as they're doing that and showing like the head character be, you know, um, active in a way that they have never been shown to be, we're getting this scene with Ty and his stuff, I think to kind of show how this is different. Like, mm. Ellen isn't present in the way that Head Six is. It is, it's present in Ty's mind, which makes me think of it more like as a projection of it's a, sure. you know, it's Caprica's thing of I can see the world as I wish it was. And it's this kind of living fantasy that I can create for myself. Um, which kind of, again, suggests that that's not really what the head characters are, that they are active and independent of their viewer in a way that is different than a normal Cylon sort of projection. Um, so my, my kind of sense is that the two are deliberately sort of contrasted, but, um, sure. But yeah, I mean, and it's Ty, I guess maybe triggered by all this grief of Tyrrell for the, the guilt of the part he played in his wife's death. Of course, now we get Ty wrestling with his guilt of his wife's death and right. the question of Caprica being, can you turn it off? How do you turn it off? If there's a way, please tell me because maybe I want to turn it off or maybe I don't, but I'd like to know if there is an option, you know, um, yeah. to not be, have to live with this and be sort of haunted by this all the time. Sure. And and she kind of doesn't say there isn't a way. She kind of says, 
you don't want to do that because that's not the best thing for you. The best thing for you is to embrace it and to learn from it. Um, right. And so, like, also there's the aspect of even as he's telling Ty that Ty isn't responsible for, for Callie's, or, uh, sorry, that Tyrrell isn't responsible for Callie's death, Ty knows that he is responsible for Ellen's death. So they, like, there is also mm-hmm. a sort of escalation, I guess, of that idea of, like, okay, like, it's one thing for me to tell Tyrrell that he's not responsible because he's not really responsible for Callie's death. Um, even not knowing that, like, Tori is the one who killed Callie. Like, even just thinking that, like, Callie committed suicide. Like, that's still not mm-hmm. Tyrrell's fault, right? Like, I can see Ty saying that. But, like, he knows for sure that he killed, you know, Ellen. So, yeah. there is, like, a deeper guilt from before the dawn of time. Um, no, uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, like, so yeah, I mean, it's definitely him working that stuff through, but. And, and kind of begging her for punishment in the same way that Tyrrell's asking everybody to, like, demote him. Like, stop giving me free passes. Give me the, the, the justice that I, you know. Yeah deserve yeah which she starts doing and then changes her mind well sure right so right she's like oops i was wrong after beating him to like a bloody pulp "Ah, maybe i shouldn't have done that maybe that's not what you needed i don't know yeah i i mean yeah. <laughs> right. And very Tory like and the mixture of pleasure and pain, you know? Like Sure. I mean she's not deliberately mixing them, but the way that she like swings between the two. Um yeah. you know, is kind of reminiscent of Tori a little bit, I think. Yeah. Um, even though in some ways she's very different. Like Tori says we're perfect, we don't need guilt. Whereas Caprica's philosophy is all about the importance of guilt and pain and regret and how you sort of, again, claim, get clarity and wisdom from that. Right. And that only she kind of frames it as, it's only by being responsible for this genocide that I understand love and humanity and myself the way that I do. Um, As any classic sociopath does. Sure. Um, so speaking of Tori and Baltar, um, we talked about the hair pulling, um, which is an individual hair at a time that she's just sort of mm-hmm. plucking from his head um, and then coupling that with a pleasurable uh, sensation. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, so, right. That's where she kind of gives him the ideas, right. Of the, of the pain and pleasure and perfection and all of that. Um, 
and then the sons of Ares come along and start beating people up and Baltar like hides mm-hmm. <laughs> as he does yep um let's let's his own people sort of get beat up yeah um and yeah i mean not maybe his most shining moment but like at the same time like <laughs> nobody really faults him for it and like everyone's sort of willing to get beat up on his behalf so mm-hmm. that's you know yikes um yeah and like I mean, for as much as we might criticize Rosalind for her, you know, pushing through of, you know, things. I mean, that's the sort of religious devotion that she's worried about, and possibly, mm. rightly so. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's definitely an aspect to it of, you know allowing yourself to get beat up on behalf of all which like everyone knows he's there like he was just sleeping like Mm -hmm. it's not like people couldn't have just pointed him out you know yeah um no yeah you're right it kind of shows that they are as devoted to him as Rosalind kind of says they are and and the line occurs about like remember what he did with political power and then think about what he might do with religious power is kind of a chilling one. Sure. Um, not even that he, you know, and I, I don't know that she's quite right in the sense of, does he want to do anything with it? Like, does he have the ambitions for all this power? Maybe not, but like, could bad things happen around that? Right. Absolutely. Um, well, the things that people do in his name and do, the ways that people manipulate him once he has power and, yeah. you know, well, yeah. all and these is, bad things could start to happen all over again. I mean, that's, I mean, is it better to have chaos? Like, <laughs> you know, then, like, at least if it's, like, organized and, like, there's a clear, like, direction, then you know kind of what you need to do to stop it or at least try to prevent from happening. But, like, if you don't even know, like, what he's going to do or, what you know, how he's going to act with this power, then it's hard to, like, respond appropriately. Because, like, mm-hmm. responding in one way could be exactly what he's looking, you know, to happen or, or mm-hmm. could end up helping him in some way. You never know. Um, well, and, and it's really not until you kind of again see the way in which like Rosalind plays into his hand here because it's really not until the guard who was there under her orders beats him up that he kind of takes control in a way. Like he kind of was just sort of hanging out. Like other people were sort of telling him, this is what we believe and you're the center of our faith. And he wasn't really, you know, understanding that or seeking that really um Mm. but this is like him he makes a speech like he kind of gives a whole lays out their kind of core philosophy so it's like all of a sudden now he kind of has ideas and has a movement and has some idea like some notion behind it that's not just other people gathering around him saying you're our messiah um now he kind of has something to say with yeah. it. 
Well, right. Um, and has pat more power at the end of the episode than he did at the beginning, I think. Yeah. Um, um right. She's the one who you know, provides the pain that gives him the clarity, right? Like that's mm-hmm. what Capricorn gets six is saying, you know, pain does and you know, having mm-hmm. soldiers beat the crap out of him helps him you mm-hmm. know, get that clarity. So and and I love the idea of a Baltar based religion that's centered around like narcissism. <laughs> you know, like of course it would be that like I have like that he begins by declaring his faults that I've never been a good man, I've never I've even been a profoundly selfish man, but it doesn't matter because something in the universe loves me. That like I'm the hand of God, you know, like that's what God and then number six have been telling me from the beginning, things tend to work out in my favor. And, and when I ask for divine interference, then that happens and things go the way I want them to. Yeah. And it's a whole like religion based around Baltar's love of himself and, and excusing away his own faults and his own like, Bad, bad decisions, his own weaknesses, all these things. Um, sure. Which kind of feels perfect for him. <laughs> yes. Yes. Just as he is. <laughs> um. Oh, and so we do have to just for like really quickly uh, tease out a little bit for a second. The fact that like head six seems to have an actual physical impact on, sure. you know, like we, we get as, I mean, no, we've had things like she pushes him around. She slams his head into a mirror that you could explain again as his own. If he's, you know, if this is a manifestation of guilt or an active imagination in some way, maybe he's slamming his own head into the wall, yeah. but I feel like this is the first time we get a clear shot of she physically picks him up. He kind of hovers a bit off the floor and like walks him over right. to the guard. And it's harder to kind of explain away as just a thing that's happening in his mind that like she's doing things that other people are witness to, um, you know, surrounded by crowds. And this is only going to increase the mystique of his. Yeah you know, his divinity and his power. And sure. Everything. And couple that with like him talking like to the side where nobody's standing. Like they've all seen him, I guess, even before people have mm-hmm. caught him sort of talking to someone who's not there. But he's like having an argument with like someone right there in the hallway. And right. then like suddenly like there's something picking him up. Like, mm-hmm. you know, what is this? And yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting choice mm-hmm. for the writers to do that. Um, and yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's obviously it's getting closer to the end. And so what is head six is kind of a central mystery, like I said, so it's you know, for those keeping 
track of all the data points that we get, this is a big one, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and harder to explain away as a chip or as a manifestation of guilt um, or any of those other sort of internal uh, theories, I, I think. Sure. Okay, well, we should probably move on. Um, yep. So, angle. Uh, supersymmetry. Uh, supersymmetry. Did want to point out that we have some new writers this week. And so, uh -huh. um, it's uh, actually a writing team uh, Elizabeth Kraft and Sarah Fain. Um, they. I, I don't know what else they worked on before Angel, um, mm -hmm. but they have continued to be a writing team after Angel. Um, among uh, so they write they write several episodes of uh, this season of Angel, and um, a couple of those are like co-written with even other people as well. But they they work together. Um, they went on after Angel to work on The Shield um, in the fourth season, and then a show called Women's Murder Club, which I'm not really familiar with. Um, but then, um, most notably, perhaps, they went on to work uh, uh, for mostly for the first season of Dollhouse, where they were uh, executive mm -hmm. producers, basically co-showrunners with Joss Whedon. Um, so... Uh, you know, had some more okay. Whedon work there. And then they left um, to uh, move on after that first season to um, another show. But uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, they, um, they're they still, I think, around and doing stuff. Um, I'm not 100% sure what they're doing at this point. But um, like, I know they've done other things too, like... Um, podcasting and and they've written novels a couple of novels together as well so mm -hmm. uh yeah just kind of still still doing their thing um they're not and i'm sorry did you say this is their only episode or do they have more content? no no they they write several episodes of angel um gotcha so i didn't pull up the numbers but um hold on Oh, that's fine. I just wasn't sure if they were a, a one-off. No, no. They, they've got um, this season, actually fourth season and fifth season, they write um, it looks like like eight altogether. Five of them are this season. A couple of those are co-written with other people. Um, but yeah, I mean, so they do they do a decent number of episodes from, from here on out till the end. So um, but this is the first uh, mm -hmm. of theirs. And uh, yeah, I mean, we can, you know, as we do with other writers, we can keep an eye on them. And uh, mm -hmm. I think, no, I think there's one other new writer, but I mean, this, I mean, there's only, uh, I think from here on out, most, most everyone we see will have, will be a repeat um, except one, mm -hmm. one person, but uh, yeah. Yeah. They're kind of new new players this season, and uh, yeah, just wanted to make sure to bring that up because we try to mention mention our yeah. newbies when we can. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, an interesting kind of, it's always interesting to me when they give a new writer, like, more than just, like, an average everyday episode. Like, and, and in some ways, this isn't necessarily, like, the most momentous episode ever, but, like, also, there is quite a important twist at the end, I think. Um, like, it, it is clearly a turning point for Fred and Gunn's characters, so... Mm. Um, it's kind of always interesting to me when when that sort of uh, tentpole, I guess, episode is given to uh, one of the noobs. Um, so I don't. Sure. I mean, I don't know what that says about anything, but it's just kind of worth noting, I think. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. So all right. Before we get into Fred, because this is really a Fred episode. Um, wanted to start with the little brief scene between Angel and Lorne um, at the beginning, sort of following on from the previous episode, um, where Lorne had the vision uh, or the, the knowledge, the prophecy pertaining to Cordy sort of sucked out of his head. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's sort of tucked up in bed, still recovering. Like everybody's, I mean, again, talking about giving somebody a pass when they've had a hard time. Everybody's kind of taking care of it. And like, he's, you know, and not that he doesn't deserve it. Like clearly he went through a trauma, so he needs sort of recovery time. Um, And Angel sort of dancing around, not asking him what he wants to ask uh, about trying to do the reading again, Um, which Lauren like categorically refuses to do, um, you know, and it's an interesting line about, I'm not a champion. I'm just a regular old karaoke singing empath demon, you know, as, as some people are. Right. Um, That's a normal thing. Yes. Just a regular one. Um, so it kind of like, I'm not, I guess, I mean, and I think there are multiple ways you could take it how do you kind of interpret his statement? I'm not a champion there. Like the champ, the kind of the, the role of champion in this story has come to mean, I think something very specific. Um, Mm. Like it doesn't just mean one of the good guys. It doesn't just mean somebody who fights on the side of good or who fights evil or who fights for the powers that be. Um, you know, or somebody generally that we associate with the heroes. Like, it's a specific role that you play in the grand scheme of this battle um, of of good versus evil. Sure. Like, champions are a specific role within that. So, um, you know, it's, it's different, I think, than saying, I'm, I don't care about right and wrong or I don't care about the fate of the world or I don't care about helping people or all these things because that's clearly not true of Lorne um but like it kind of is like because he's not a champion whatever that is it means you don't necessarily it's not his responsibility to put his life on the line to get this secret back 
like, even though he's one of the good guys and he wants to help, he's also like, well, if I do this reading, they're going to kill me. And not going to do that. Um, whereas, like, it kind of seems like if you are a champion, if you're Angel, it's sort of the burden is on him to do the self-sacrificial, heroic champion thing, no matter what. Like, he has to do it, and that's his job um, in order to kind of, you know, uh, wage the war and fight the battle and everything. Um, so I don't know if there's anything more to that, but it kind of makes a distinction between all of these guys are the good guys, but some of them are, you know, higher levels of that. Some of them have responsibilities that other ones um, don't necessarily seem to have, I guess. Sure. I mean, and so, I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how technically we want to take the term champion or not. Um, mm -hmm. I guess we can, you know, keep looking at references to it. Um, and I don't know how honest of a, of, a, of a portrayal of himself we want to take Lauren's statement there either. Because, sure. like, there is a possibility that maybe he's just feeling beat down and whatever. And so his own assessment of his own championness, you know, maybe there's a bit of a unreliable narrator or, or whatever that, you know, we might want to call that. Um, sure. Yeah. So I don't, I mean, I don't know that I have a ton to say there just kind of throwing some you know uh right a little bit of of potential for alternative interpretation there perhaps that mm -hmm. maybe right. maybe he, he's just saying he like, just i'm not a hero maybe he's just <laughs> like you know I, i'm not looking to be a hero you know i'm not trying right. to right. be whatever and i'm not brave like you know other people are because that's, I mean, he's mm -hmm. not a fighter, right? Like, that's not his role and whatever. And mm -hmm. so maybe maybe that's how he sees it, but maybe that's not necessarily, like, a good objective definition of champion or something. Sure. Um, right. There could be other ways of being a champion other than the those with the fighting skills. Right. Um, and so, yeah, and again, like, even if it is, maybe maybe he's not entirely being honest with himself and Angel in that moment mm -hmm. either. So, yeah, I don't know. Cool. All right, so we'll kind of keep an eye on that. I mean, I guess because it's sort of like if the fate of the world or the fate of, um, you know, uh, the universe depends on finding out this this vision, this prophecy. Um, you know, I don't want to rush anybody's recovery, but also, like, champion or not, is there a responsibility there to try to get the information back? Um, so, I'm, you know, there's not too much more with Lauren in this episode, but I'm curious to see if that attitude of his continues of, I'm not looking to be a hero or a martyr or, or is there a change in, in his feelings toward being more proactive about that? 
Um, so we'll kind of have to see where that goes. Um, and you see, you definitely get his uh, hesitation and his nervousness here because, you know, so when they hear a noise, he's like got the ax at the side of the bed and everything. Like he's just, you know, kind of very much like Fred in this episode. He's been through a traumatic event and has come out the other side a bit disturbed and shaken by that. Yeah, and maybe. Um, and, and I think that's very much a theme here is you don't just get over that. Um, it, it, it leaves a mark on you and is, it's hard to judge, you know, you kind of shouldn't really judge people who've been through things like that and expect them to just always act in the heroic, selfless, don't hesitate to do the right thing way. Um, that's not what happens sometimes when you go through a really terrible experience. Yeah. And, and the question is, in my mind, is it, is he more afraid of, like, you know, them coming back to erase his memory and, and possibly kill him if he learns this thing again? Or, mm -hmm. even though he doesn't remember what it was that he saw in Cordy, like, maybe he mm -hmm. remembers the feeling that it gave him, and it was so dreadful and terrible that he just would rather not know it again. Not know it. Yeah. Sure. And I don't, I don't know that we get a clear answer one way or the other, or mm -hmm. I mean, and it could be a combination. Sure. No, that's a really good point. Um, okay. So moving on to, uh, Fred, uh, who, quietly without making a fuss or even telling gun about it um started doing some work in her old uh physics uh field again and went so far as to you know uh write and come up with a new theory which is seems to be somewhat groundbreaking she's kind of modest about how oh it's probably wrong somebody's going to disprove it by next week but that's fred being modest um it sure. all indications point to it being revolutionary um and she's gone and and got it published and everything yeah um, and, and apparently so yeah apparently supersymmetry is some sort of like physics concept i don't i don't know sure enough about I, I, it I, I, to I kind of guessed that just because they're making reference to like string theory yeah, and all yeah, this yeah. other stuff. It's like, it, it's whether or not, I mean, I'm certainly not the one to tell you whether the snippets we hear of Fred's article make any sense. Yeah, um, no, I have, but no at idea. least in terms of, in terms of the vocabulary, um, it sounds like they've pulled some, it's very physicky. some, <laughs> it sounds very physics. -y. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, like N NP and uh, wimps and all that kind of thing. Of it has the that kind of right, like jargon, that internal that feels, jargon. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So I don't. I don't know um, anything about the theory. Like I looked at the Wikipedia page, and it's an actual thing, and that's about as far as I got. Um, but mm. um, yeah, just to kind of point that out 
mm-hmm. for what it's worth. People can explore sure. on their own. Sure. Um, yeah, and so a couple things kind of in her um, reaction to all this. Um, the way, so, you know, she has kind of getting back to this theme of, of the mixture of pain and pleasure and the value of suffering and all this sort of thing. Um, you know, her little speech about how she always wanted these people that she admires to look up to her, um, uh, you know, except for when this horrible thing happened and she got sucked into this other dimension. And then she kind of internalized this need for nobody to look at her. Um, Sure. Because of the, the, the danger of that. Um, and she kind of concludes by saying, but aside from the unendurable torture and mental anguish, if I hadn't been sucked through the portal, I never would have figured out my string comp- compactification theory. Mm-hmm. So kind of, I mean, that's kind of, I think, worth bringing up later when she starts to uh, change her tune a little bit because before she kind of has all these old memories resurfaced and fears and everything, her attitude is kind of, well, it was a hellish five years, but look what I got out of it. There was a positive benefit. There was light at the end of the tunnel. And it's only that experience that allowed her to come up with this theory that is now, you know, going to put, going to be published and seemingly going to start you know, a whole new thing in physics and everything. Um, so just the idea of that Tolkien, it was good to have been idea, mm-hmm. you know, of, of it was not good in any way right. while she was living it. But if you can survive the bad things, um, potentially good things may come out of it that you might not have had otherwise. And so you can find ways of dealing with the bad because of these positive sort of effects. So, which is different than later when, when she's sucked back into the, the, the emotional trauma of it. I think she forgets that, Um, you know, it becomes all about, her need to reconcile and erase the pain of what happened and not kind of forgetting that, well, I came out of it and I, and I came out of it stronger and got something good out of this whole experience. Um, it's more about going back to wishing it had never happened and having to kind of punish the people who made it happen and everything. Sure. Um, yeah, I, hmm. I, I mean, I didn't really think of it that way. That she like kind of forgets about her. I don't, I don't know, revelation or interpretation, I guess, of her own time out. But like her clarity. Yeah, I mean, yeah, pretty much. Um, and it is it yeah, this is, is kind of this is kind of the opposite like the pain takes away her clarity in a way sure um and, i mean it's totally situational insofar as uh when like 
she's kind of flying high on the publication and getting, you know, a chance to have a talk, you know, and all of that, like, and being sort of like pushed into the forefront of her field after having been hidden so long, there's sort of a euphoria around it. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, so yeah. Is the change, you know, tied to that? Like when she realizes that like, you know, the people that she thought should be helping her and teaching her, well, the person anyway, who should have been helping and teaching her, you know, betrayed her. Like, is that where, you know, like, does she forget that, like, that experience led to her thing? Or does it, or is there, like, a sense where, and maybe it is almost Tyrell-esque of, like, changing like maybe she still would have come up with this theory without having gone to Pylea. Maybe it mm-hmm. would have taken her 10 years instead of five or whatever. But like, you know, is there a sense of like, you know, with Tiro like sort of questioning, like what would have been like, had like both he and Boomer known that they were Cylons together rather than like going after Callie because like Boomer turned Cylon or whatever and and like that whole right. thing of like you know there's there's sort of a questioning right. questioning not your taken, path yeah. and like yeah. had you know things been slightly different or had I known this thing earlier that I know now you know would there be a different outcome um, and if so what is that and I think I I mean there's no way to prove it one way or the other so I guess I won't even say that I think this is it, but like more like another sort of interpretation might be not so much that she forgets, but um, that she remembers that like the five years in Pylea gave her this, but like perhaps she would be so much further along in her field had she never been Mm. sent away, which of course is also what Professor Seidel thinks, right? Because he's the one who sent her away. And mm-hmm. clearly did that to get her out of the way. Although, mm-hmm. assuming that she would have never come back, I think, is the idea. Considering that he did it right, to other yes. people as well, right? Like, I mean... Right, right. Um, right. This was a, supposed to be a permanent solution right, to this problem, yeah. Right. So, anyway, just... Um, yeah, just thinking that through a little. Like, like there is a sense, I think, where maybe it it, it can still... You know, the, the the evil is, you know, may yet be good to have been, but yet remain evil. Like, this is her mm-hmm. focusing on that last clause, right? Like, of the, well, it's still right. evil, and it's bad, and you did it to me. <laughs> like, right, right. Um, not necessarily forgetting that, like, it did lead to a good thing, but that, you know, that doesn't matter, because, like, he still needs to pay for the bad thing he did. Mm-hmm. Um, right, but I don't, I don't, right, I don't which, know that I don't, I don't know that we have enough information to like go one way or the other completely. But just kind of an alternative sure. view there, alternative fact, if you will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, and and I think in some ways there are overlaps with 
with Tyrrell and the BSG storylines, but I do think in some ways it's very different in that rather than the theme being that her pain gives her clarity in these situations, that it's when she is attacked and kind of, it seems like she might get sucked back into another portal. You know, you feel when Gunn kind of pulls her onto the, the floor, you kind of have that hyperventilating and, you know, everything of, of her panic. And I feel like the whole rest of her story in this episode is her right or wrong. It's not necessarily wrong of her to want justice um, or wrong to condemn Seidel for what he did. But also how much is what she wants and what she's doing muddied by her the the pain and the trauma of that of she loses that ability to kind of think clearly i guess mm. um you know and she's going back into the old habits of muttering and drawing on the wall and everything like it does kind of bring about this resurgence of that flight or fight kind of way that she lived for for five years um Although different because she's kind of not the same mousy Fred that we, I mean, not that she was totally mousy. She was pretty awesome. Even in Pylea, like she had her thing together and she took care of herself. So she wasn't a complete damsel in distress either. Um, but I feel like since then, more recently, we've gotten this more, this colder side of her, mm -hmm. you know, like I'm thinking of that moment with Connor when he, betrays them and she realizes this a couple episodes ago where she like threatens him hardcore and is like quite uh you know scary and vicious about it um like that's more the reaction here it's not just that oh she's scared and is triggered back into these old habits it's that she also decides that revenge is what she wants mm. she wants him to pay she wants him to pay harshly and at her hand um so she's not like scared into hiding or or tricked back into an old way of being it's that she's now like the the one who's gonna make him pay for all this um which um i was this is just an aside. This doesn't matter to the episode really, but I was like convinced for like a long t part of this episode that it wasn't going to be Seidel who was um, the culprit. I was, for some reason, his relationship with the TA seemed like really conspicuous. And I was kind of like, huh, like maybe she's the one who's like, like they're going to pin this on Seidel and really it's going to be like this, jealous envious ta the whole time who's like sending all his grad students off into portals and stuff um i don't think i'm right about that it seems like at by the end where it's pretty much confirmed that Seidel has the book and he yeah. says the incantation and opens the portal like that's not that i think that's pretty definitively shown um and i mean thank goodness because the ending's kind of bad enough without them killing an innocent person um sure but anyway just 
for what that's worth. I was like working on this theory for a long time that turned out not to be right, but. Fair enough. That was, that was where my, my brain was going as the episode was playing for the first time. Yeah, I mean, I think um, we do get like, I think there, I think that's purposeful. Like, I think they put some hints in there, like just kind of the little looks that you give, and right to to mislead you a little. And bit. And that is sort of a trope too, right? Like, oh, it's not the one you expect; it's the assistant, you know. Right. Like, I feel like that. So, like. Yeah, maybe you were, like, too savvy for your own good, you know, or something. Well, probably everybody and their mother thought the same thing, and I'm acting like this is a unique reaction when, like, it's exactly what they want you to think. Sure. Um, so. Yeah, and I don't, I mean, I've seen it enough times that, like, I don't even remember what my initial, you know, mm -hmm. reaction was necessarily, but. Right, um, right, right, yeah. Yeah. Uh I mean I can see how you would get, you know, misled by the by the TA. Um but yeah, no, I mean she finds the book inside Elle's office. He's opening portals like left and right, like clearly Right. Once he starts like opening the portals, it's like, oh, okay. I yeah. guess uh yeah. He really it really is him the whole time. Um Yeah, so all right, going back a little bit, although I lost my outline. Um, I guess let's backtrack it just for a minute to like the actual talk. I mean, she gives her talk and she like they open the portal and the demon comes out. I mean, I don't know that there's much more to say about that, but um, you do get the conspicuous presence of Wesley and. Lila there um that Wesley's sort of following I mean he's following everybody um but like in particular like he's following you know Fred's progress and actually like when they talk later is the one person who actually might understand her work um at least to a certain extent um so he you get this contrast between Gun kind of reading from the article, not understanding any of it, and neither do I. Um, whereas, like, Wesley actually can read it and understand it well enough to actually have questions about it and know what it is that he needs explained to him and everything. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I think he's kind of curious from, as an ex-member of the group, keeping tabs on them. What are they doing? But also there's a kind of affinity there with Fred of these are two very bookish academic people. Um, you know, I could totally see Wesley just being interested in going to a physics lecture. Like, um, that's a sort of interesting sure. enough thing, even without the kind of added personal issues sort of on top well, of Well, and I mean, keeping in mind that when we first met Wesley, that was pretty much all he was, was an academic, right? Like, sure. Yeah. You know, back in Sunnydale, whatever, like he was fresh from the Watchers Academy or whatever. And right, right. All theory. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, totally believable. Um, and because he sees the article, Lila sees the article. So she's sort of following on, on his trail. Um, mm -hmm. Some coolness between the two of them from the last episode, you know, she brings this helmet, like medieval armor helmet yeah. as like kind of a strange gift, but okay. Um, as like kind of a gift slash peace offering, um, which he accepts, but you know, is kind of like not the, not the warmest. Um, sure. And says like, Oh, I've got this lecture. I get, or, or I have the thing I have to, I have to get out of here. So, uh, still some kind of bad blood between them over, the whole Lauren setup from the last time. Yeah. Um, um, yep. Okay. So anything else with the portal attack? I mean, so the only other thing, uh, other than kind of them fighting off the demon and rescuing Fred, then Angel kind of concludes wrongly but reasonably enough that lila did it because she's there um and confronts her about it but of course she didn't so i'm not sure if there's any anything else deeper to that scene i mean there's the i guess maybe the the looming threat of we'll have the lauren conversation soon kind of gets planted of like well I have bigger fish to fry at the moment, but I haven't forgotten about A, what you did to Lauren and B, what you know now, this information that you have. Right. And we're gonna we're that, that we're gonna have problems with that. <laughs> yep. Angel kind of like letting her know that that's not he's not just gonna like let that go. Right. Yeah, and Lila sort of being less afraid or intimidated by him even in the like you get the feeling that maybe in the past she's sort of been bluffing a little when she's you know talking back to angel but like mm -hmm. you kind of feel like now she's like even coming more into her own of just like being more confident and not really caring as much i guess like about him like she's just kind of doing her own thing and he's just sort of a nuisance mm -hmm. but it's not like maybe earlier you know uh seasons where she might have felt a little more intimidated or uh mm -hmm. whatever by him right now it's like oh blah 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 more of your empty words and your idle threats and mm -hmm. I'll believe it when I see it. Um, well, and she's what head of special projects now. So right. like she does have more resources at her disposal. I guess she has more control over the situation. Like she's not the low guy on the totem pole anymore. She's now the one who is calling the shots and that might be giving her more sense of power. Um, over him or over the situation, I guess. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think that's part of it. I mean, she's right. She's sort of eliminated all of the competition at this point, one way or another. 
Um, and I also wonder how much like her relationship with Wesley has to do with it. Like if she thinks that maybe push came to shove, he would sort of help her. You know? Sure. Although maybe she's starting to question that given, you know, he just went to see Fred give a talk, right. but right. Right. Uh, yeah. Who knows? Definitely some right stuff going on there. Yeah. Yeah, and the Wesley um, Fred connection is kind of like implicit throughout this the episode. Like, kind of again through their shared interest in academia. Um, but like the fact that to kind of move on to the next sort of section when when she realizes. That who is responsible for this and swears vengeance and she's kind of going to go in with a axe and medieval torture devices and, and gun and angel won't let her. Um, the first thing she does is run to Wesley. Um, well, and it's like, it, and it's, is it, it, it's, it's a couple things because it's, there is that connection there. Um, it's her playing on, or not playing in a manipulative, but counting on the fact that if she needs help, he will help her because they, you know, had this connection and he, you know, at least at one point wanted more of a connection. Um, but then it's also the sense of, well, you will understand. You're like, you've, you've done, you've gone to the dark side. You've indulged your, sure. you know, your, your less yeah. than noble, ideas and and lived with the consequences like you've you know all about that so you will you're not gonna tell me to just do the right thing right. you're gonna help me do yeah. what i need to do and so i think it's a combination of those things um yeah and so something that just just sort of occurred to me and i didn't honestly i haven't i don't think i put this together until just now was um in both for both of the, you know, main women in this episode, uh, Fred and Cordy, um, like you get Cordy at the end talking about, and I know we're skip, I'm skipping ahead, but again for the contrast, mm -hmm. like Cordy yeah. talking about, um, don't lie to me, don't protect me, like I don't need protection, like I know who I am, maybe I don't remember everything, but I know that I'm still the same woman and I don't need protection. So don't lie to me. Don't, you know, treat me like whatever, but like, that's kind of what gun and angel are doing all along here is mm -hmm. with now. And I'm not saying like that they necessarily should agree with her, like, and you know, that they're wrong to like, try to dissuade her from taking vengeance. Mm -hmm. Like, but they are, there is a sort of like, we're protecting you from yourself element to their mm -hmm. arguments. And I think that's kind of what frustrates her and sends her in a way to Wesley. Like, because Wesley does, Wesley is like, like he acknowledges, he's like, you know, they're right. Like, right. Like the, this will change things. And this will, you know, if you go through with this, then, then it's not going to be good, you know? And she's like, 
yeah, but I still want to do it. And he's like, okay, like, it's your decision. Right. And, like, then, like, gives her the help that she needs to do that. And, mm-hmm. again, not that, like, not that I think it's necessarily the right decision on her part, because, like, I can totally agree from, like, the moral argument that Wesley and Gunn are making, but they're not making mm-hmm. it as, like, you shouldn't do this, but it's up to you. They're, mm-hmm. like, manipulating and lying to her and then, like, gonna go, like, behind her back and take care of it themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, I don't know. I, I guess it's sort of... I see right. a similarity between that and the Cordelia thing of lying to her for her own good, you know, and just mm-hmm. assuming that she can't accept what, you know they have to say to her or whatever or what the truth yeah, is or whatever. Yeah. Right. I don't know. It just kind of popped into my head that, that there seems to be a similarity there. And, and Wesley's the one who now I'm not, I mean, Wesley might have his own selfish reasons for, mm-hmm. you know, helping Fred out as well. So I don't want to make it sound like Wesley's, just being a hundred percent, you know, altruistic or whatever. But like, sure. I, that seems like a weird word to use for the situation. But you know what I mean? Like, like there is. I mean, he's always liked Fred, and so maybe mm-hmm. there is some sort of like selfish angle that he's taking here as well. But the upshot is that he's not lying to her or trying to go behind her back and do something about it it you know he's mm-hmm. he's helping her in the way that she's asking for help and you know giving her advice but then accepting her rejection of that advice right right that sentence almost got away from me sure <laughs> um yeah no i think that's that's a really good point. There is a kind of theme of like coddling the, you know, both Fred and Cordy here. Um, yeah, of not even, even if Fred and Gunn were to say, we, you know, we understand why you, why you feel you have to do this, but it's our duty to stop you or something. Like, like even that in some ways would be more honest than kind of like, well, let's, you know, make some cocoa and you'll feel better, you right. know, or right. like, you know, kind of trying to pretend that she's not serious in what she's saying. Um, or that they're, you know, protecting her own moral virtue, right. but then like, they're totally willing to go off and do it themselves. Right. Right. Which, so to kind of go to the 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 ending here is totally what gun does he takes that that decision out of her hands um and finishes it himself um which i'm sure he thinks as a very noble you know nice boyfriend thing to do um but i kind of wonder if this is not going to uh hurt their relationship more than it will help you know like in the end, she's still, Seidel's still dead. Like, he didn't, Gunn didn't do what he said he wanted to do, which is stop 
the killing. Stop this from happening. Like, the guy still got killed by them. Um, and Fred didn't even get to do it herself. Gunn made a decision for her and sort of took control. Um, and he's not going to be happy about that, I don't think. Like, he's not just going to brush that off. He's, because he's saying in this episode, I've changed that I don't do that kind of thing anymore. A few years ago, I would have, but I'm different now. Um, mm -hmm. And so, like, he's not going to just be able to shrug that off any more easily than Fred is, I think. Um, you know, so he kind of says, oh, if you kill him, I'm going to lose you. But I kind of, I'm worried that he's going to lose her anyway, you know? Like, I don't see how him doing it is necessarily a higher moral uh, ground than, than her doing it. Um, yeah. So, you know, since she's still responsible for the death in some ways, um, but without even the, like, catharsis of being right. the one to kind of pull the trigger, you know? Like, d does she really have closure from this? Like, is this going to... I'm not saying killing him would have given her closure, but I don't see how this can either. Um, I think all this can do is pull Gunn and Fred apart, really. That's my... my I guess a prediction. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll be silent on the issue, but um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's like the catharsis thing was, and I didn't even really think of it and from that angle either but i think i think that makes sense uh and i think you kind of get it too from the end of they kind of don't they don't at all tell angel the truth of what happened just that oh we she opened a portal and he went in and angel kind of enjoys the poetic justice of that but they're like uh-huh yeah all right we're going to bed mm -hmm. um and it's like you kind of get the idea of like they're not talking to Angel. They're probably not going to talk to each other. Everybody's just going to go stew in their own kind of misery, I think. Um, which I don't think bodes very well. Like, this isn't going to be something that eases Fred's pain. It's going to be something they have to deal with. Um, and, and more secrets, because Angel doesn't know what happened, you know? Like, so now they have this this other thing to keep to themselves that, you know, that gun killed somebody. So. Sure. Um, anything else with the Fred storyline before we move on to uh, Cordy and Connor in the last couple of minutes? Uh, no, I think we hit all the major points. Um, so, yeah. All right, on to your favorite storyline. <laughs> so Cordy is trying to, like, remember herself, make things homey, get back to her old ways. So, you know, she sends Connor to get some things, which he sort of 
allowed to kind of come and go out of the hotel, I guess. Like, Angel catches him, but there's kind of no real, like, confrontation. It's like he just packs up some things and Angel says, don't forget the slippers. And Connor makes a weird reference to her stealing the covers, which is a little worrisome um, to Angel and to everybody. So, like, they're all kind of tolerating this really awkward you know, uh, status quo, I guess, among the group. Um, and so, yeah, Cordy's trying to find herself. And so Connor suggests training, um, and slaying vampires, which it's like, yeah, she did train and clearly has fighting skills, but he kind of to me, it kind of shows how little he really knows her or knows any of them because he kind of makes it sound like that was who she was. Like she was this, oh, once you slay some vampires, you'll remember. Like right. that's your old self. And it's like she was never like the vampire slayer. Sure. Like, like, yes, she did train and she did learn things and had skill. But there were other, there were so many other roles that she played and aspects to her character that I feel like are more definitive of Cordy than that. Um, and is it Connor kind of starting to sort of arrange his little idea of what this relationship is going to be like, of we're going to be this like badass, like demon hunting couple. Um, so once you train up a little bit, you'll remember and that's the groove that we're going to sort of get into here. Right. Sure. Um, I mean, right. This is like his Justine, right? Like, mm -hmm. like he's sure. trying to train her to like, yeah. Cause there was like Justine and Holtz always had sort of that weird mm -hmm. sexual, thing going on too like the tension mm -hmm. or whatever so mm -hmm. i i mean i don't know that it's conscious in his mind but yeah there's definitely like sure. he's like he seems to be thinking that there's like you know the couple that works together stays together or something i don't know <laughs> like mm -hmm. <laughs> or it's just an assumption like it's an ignorant thing of like oh he's seen her fight and seen that she's good so that clearly that's who you are. That's what you're meant to do. And that's what we're going to do together. Um, like, again, does he even really know her that well or know any of them or kind of what an angel investigations was to know, like, what was her, her sort of role within that group? And what are the things that are really make her who she well, is? Well, and that's a good question because, like, I mean, we had half a season of her without visions, but when Doyle died, he passed those on to her. And since then, that's pretty much been her role. Like, even mm -hmm. after she got the headaches and stuff and then became part demon, like, you know what I mean? Like, there's... Right, that continued yeah. to be her role, yeah. Um, she hasn't had any visions that we've seen right. since she's come back. Is she still part demon? Can she even have the visions anymore? Um, 
we still don't really know what happened as far as like how she left and stopped being a higher power like Mm -hmm. did she get kicked out did she leave on her own terms what what were those terms like she doesn't seem to remember (laughs) you know um so yeah there's just kind of a lot of a lot of questions there of you know about what is going on and and it's unclear you know really at this point like even if they discover even if she discovers what her role used to be it's not clear that like there can be a right the same role for her you know uh going forward that's true and that's that's true it hadn't really occurred to me quite that way but even if she does have a memory of what her place used to be can she do that again um either physically or just because rules and restrictions have come into play and she's not allowed to or whatever um yeah so right but so she doesn't know that yet so i guess we'll save that that question for another time and in the meantime um she's just sort of she'll try whatever just to try to remember and see how it goes and the the fighting goes pretty well um and she's quite happy about that and and gives connor a hug and you know kind of gets a little friendly and you know a uh maybe a bit of a mistake on cordy's part um gives him a peck but he obviously uh that's the cue he was waiting for and takes that and sort of runs with it um and then things get very awkward very quickly (laughs) that's kind of he he overplays the hand and she kind of immediately shuts that down um and takes him aside and has a talk and you know that's it. She's out of there. Um, Seems to be, yeah. So, which again, I'm. I mean, I'm waiting to see where it goes. So I'm not like saying one way or the other. But kind of like with her amnesia, I'm left feeling. Kind of, what's the point of that? Like she left Angel to be with Connor for one episode, and now she's going back. It's sort of like, I don't know. Like, it seems like. I'm not quite sure where this uh what's what's the what yet is the purpose of this kind of plot strand um other than to just yet again great question push great question let's what's the point of connor is probably your let's keep asking that question (laughs) okay other i mean the only thing i can i mean other than like i mean obviously like him uh getting uh too fresh with her kind of pushes her away from him i mean in terms of like the plot movement her staying with him for however long she was there it seems like the only thing it'll really do is push connor further away from angel of like here's yet another reason to not question his own choices but to blame angel for 
all everything that goes wrong and and kind of you know assume that oh you're going back to him like yeah you know that that he's turned you in some way and and why does everybody love him and you know like kind of doing that surly teenage thing um so it's kind of just pushing him further into his sort of dad rebellion state i guess but i'm not sure what cordy really gets out of it <laughs> like in terms of not gets out of the relationship but in terms of like plot development um or character development i guess yeah i mean right because like her whole thing was like oh you guys lied to me so i'm saying with him who told me the truth and then it's like yeah, he grabbed my boob when I was sleeping and then, like, once more. Yeah. So, nah, this isn't working out so good. I, yeah, I don't, right. I mean, and now she's got to go bring all her stuff back. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, I mean, she it's not like she went and got the stuff anyway. Connor went and got it. So she'll just send Gun and Angel over to get her stuff again right right go get my stuff yeah um, um sure um yeah so i mean and you mentioned her kind of ultimate not ultimatum but like her direction to angel to you know no more lies just be straight um and then asks a very pointed question of we were we in love and he doesn't answer or we don't get an answer and it cuts to the credits um so yeah telling him to be honest and then following up with this question and it's one of those things of like well, maybe there could be multiple answers to the question like is she asking was he in love with her um because he might know the answer to that question but like were we in love like they were never a couple they never like declared anything or like they were on their way to tell each other something when all these bad things happened so it's kind of hard to say that they were in love with each other because it's like they kind of never really got that far right um, like there was potential there so, maybe but yeah. right right or each of them might know how they felt but they never really received confirmation that the other one felt the sure. same way so it's like how do you answer that question it's like it's you check the it's complicated box right. like on the facebook thing um <laughs> like there's not like Does there's anyone, not really like, like, even like update a, their relationship status on facebook anymore i don't know i haven't seen that in a long yeah. time um that used to be like a big deal oh um, i know <laughs> because <laughs> i updated it the wrong way and got a bunch of phone calls when that <laughs> happened uh yeah anyway that's funny uh so anyway back to um, the, the story uh, back to this i feel like there's no there's that's not like a question she she's looking for a very simple very direct yes or no answer and i don't know that there is a simple direct yes or no answer to that question um so kind of you know, I mean, all he can do, what she's telling him to do is be honest. But on the other hand, it might be, there might be more to it than she realizes. So mm -hmm. uh, it's not quite that straightforward. Right. 
Yeah. So yeah, but she's I mean, uh, but she's fortunate. back back in the fold out of Connor's uh, greedy little clutches, and uh, back with people who, you know, treat her with some respect. Sure. So. <laughs> um, yeah, and like as far as like the question, I mean, Angel has like two weeks to think about it before he has to answer. So. Two weeks. Okay, so two episodes of Buffy, is this what you're saying? Well, no, one episode of Buffy, but that's next week, so then the week after. Oh, I see. Um, I'm, I'm misunderstood. No, just I'm just two weeks. We skip one week, right? So two weeks from today, we'll talk right. about. Yes. Yep. I'm with you. <laughs> All right, well, we're clearly both tired, so... Yes. Any, any final so. thoughts? Um, I think we covered pretty much everything. So, no, I think. Uh, but we that about does we it. We will be back next week with some uh, Buffy and some more BSG. And uh, yeah, all right. Sounds good. See you then. Mm-hmm.